Welcome to another episode of Women in Sailing. In this episode, we talk to Julie Hodder, a well-known sailor and a past Commodore of the Middle Harbour Yacht Club. Julie started sailing at a very young age and grew up in a sailing family. She has a deep passion and love for the sport. Still very actively involved, she enjoys offshore ocean racing and is looking forward to her 14th Sydney to Hobart. We talk with Julie about her first Sydney to Hobart on Diamond Cutter, her experience in the 1998 Hobart on Morning Mist, then 21 years later, her last Sydney to Hobart on About Time. We touch on navigation and the changes. She shares her thoughts on boat ownership, her favourite regattas and sailing out of the Middle Harbour Yacht Club. It's my pleasure to welcome Julie Hodder. Hi, welcome Julie. How are you today? I'm well. Not a very nice day today. It's uh, not a nice day to be outside. No, it's a little (laughs) bit overcast and raining. I've just come back from the Yacht Club and raining cats and dogs down there. (laughs) Yep. Let's get started. I understand that you started sailing early. Can you paint a picture on what it was like to sail with your dad and your brother and to compete in the jog championships? Okay. Um, Well, dad has been sailing all his life. Actually, his parents gave him some money to buy a motorbike to get around, but he bought a boat instead. (laughs) And that was in the UK. And I've actually got a picture of myself as a baby sailing in the UK. And I treasure that photograph. Oh, (laughs) Yeah, but I started sailing with my dad, mum and my brother David on an Endeavour 24 in Lake Macquarie Yacht Club. Oh, lovely. Yeah. And uh, it was just a small boat. But really, dad didn't treat me much differently from my brother and I sort of got to do all things like foredeck, trimming, I can even helm sometimes. But I really wanted to be a surfer because I grew up at Port Macquarie and I wanted to be a surfer, so I wasn't really impressed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're still on water anyway. I was still on water, but anyway, Dad Dad persisted and threw me just on an old wooden heron with another girl. We were the only two girls in the fleet. We didn't go that well. And our favourite activity was actually capsizing the boat in the middle of the 16-foot skiffs club so we could actually wave at the guys. (laughs) But I was participating. (laughs) Uh, One one time we actually got line on us and uh, unfortunately the the finishing team only realised we went round twice and not three times, so we had to pull out. (laughs) (laughs) But then after a few years we actually upgraded to an Endeavour 26 yeah, hold two feet, and that's when Dad sort of took up more ocean racing. I was about um, fourteen at the time, and so I was a lot more interested in ocean racing than I was sailing around with the family in Lake Macquarie. And so, yeah, I had a wonderful time there sailing, especially with my brother. I get on so well. One night we did a race from uh, Lake Macquarie to Sydney, and uh, absolutely no wind. Mm. Dad had a migraine and ordered us to pull the sail down, all the sails down. But my brother and I sat up there and we snuck the sails up very, very <laughs> quietly. And when we when he woke up in the morning, we were second, second in the fleet, one wow. of the smallest boats. So yeah, I had a really happy childhood. 
dad recognised my interest in navigation and that's probably, he was a navigator, so that's when I sort of first took an interest. Okay. And you competed in the JOG Championships and for those who don't know uh, what JOGS is, can you explain that to us? Yeah, the JOGS is the junior offshore group. Um, used to be very popular in, a, in a, uh, Australia when I first started sailing in the 70s. Very popular still in the UK where there's a lot more smaller boats racing. Mm -hmm. But I started really sailing in the JOG Championships with an Ian Thomas uh, on a boat called Outlaw out of the Sydney Amateurs. So Ian actually designed his own boat, was called Outlaw. I had two cockpits side by side, which we used to joke they were his and her cockpits. <laughs> but it was a very successful design and we went on to win the New South Wales and the Australian Championships. Fantastic. Yeah, so the the guys treated me really well. I mean, I really, there was no sexism there. It was just I was just one of the crew. Mm. But Ian Thomas was interesting because he helped um, Kay Cotty put her boat together on her non-stop epic voyage around the world. So... That's interesting about Ian. But when did you move to Sydney, Julie? When I finished school, I went to university down here. So I started okay. sailing down here. With So you're in your late amateurs. teens? Yeah, yeah, late teens. And is that when you got interested in the Sydney to Hobart yacht race? I've always been interested in sailing offshore. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm not really an inshore sailor. I actually wanted to go around the world. So, yes, I suppose I was always interested in sailing in the Sydney Hobart. It was my dream. <laughs> You've done 13 Sydney to Hobart. What was your first? My first was a boat um, called Diamond Cutter. Uh, Diamond Cutter was owned by Alan Sweeney and we were one of the best boats um, in the Blue Water Series in the C CYC at that time, actually CYC in Middle Harbour. Mm -hmm. But it was a very funny story about how I actually got on Diamond Cutter 43 years ago. Um, there was a guy called Sharpie, Mike Sharp, that asked me to go sailing with him uh, on the boat. It was mm -hmm. all pouring with rain. Uh, the We're all wearing wet weather gear and not, not many people will say anything. Um, I was relegated to the runners had no idea what a runner was because, you know, it only sailed <laughs> on small joggy boats. And I was just told, oh, well, when we jibe, you just got to pull on as hard as you can. Well, I, yep. well, I mucked up that the first time. <laughs> got the runner <laughs> on the wrong side. Um, you know, and those older IOI boats, it was very important. Anyway, I didn't seem to have mucked it up too much because he then let me sail regularly after I was introduced to him and he got a bit of a shock. I used to be able to sail regularly just on the short races. But anyway, the first long race came up and uh, I'd already cleaned the bottom of the boat um, because I used to scuba dive and clean bottoms of boats and mm -hmm. I had all my gear ready. Someone didn't turn up. So he said, oh, jump on. <laughs> so there you go. I went. And, and that's how you got on your first Hobart ride. Yeah. Yeah. So wow. that was in the 80s. But, yeah. you know, it was a wild ride and uh, the boat was pretty strong, but uh, we passed Eden. We got into the Straits. A lot of boats pulled out and our stringers in the bow, um, which is structural part of the boat, they mm. kept breaking cracking so we actually had to turn around and come back so that was my that was my first one <laughs> wow yeah so that is that is um well what are some of your 
most memorable Hobarts after that one. So you must have made it at one point in time. Oh, yes. Well, that's the only time I haven't made it. <laughs> okay. Um, but, you know, everyone's got to say the 90, 1998 Hobart. Anyone who participated say that would have to be their most mem memorial for all sorts of reasons. Mm, but that's mm. when I owned the Far 50 called Morning Mist and I owned it with uh, Peter Sorensen and Stan Zamanik. Mm -hmm. you know, Stan Zamanik, the shock jock. Unfortunately, yes, not with us. Yeah. Yes. So um, the boat had went up to, we got the boat, went up to Hayman and Hamilton. Unfortunately, it had an accident with the land going from Hayman to Hamilton. We won't say anything more about that and pushed mm -hmm. the keel up through the bottom of the boat. Wow. Anyway, just before, we got it fixed up just before the Hobart and off we went. But unfortunately, just before we went, uh, the person looking after our boat actually drilled the seat back in and drilled it through the, um, the fuel tank. So that was, a, that was a bit upsetting. I didn't notice in the beginning. Uh, we first of all heard the storm over the VHF and we sort of knew what it was going to be but wasn't quite prepared. But, you know, the storm got worse and worse and mm. unfortunately so did some of the crew. <laughs> oh, gee, yes. Yeah. Yes. Compounding that was a um, bilge full of diesel just wafting oh, around and... It just, it's because we were turned on a side and everything, it went through all most of the food and, and clothes <laughs> and sails. Oh, and of course, it's mm. really slippery. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the waves, everyone knows that were just gigantic and some of them with mm. no back. But, but luckily, we had uh, one guy, Craig Nichol. Yeah. Um, he was actually able to steer through the worst of it. Uh, basically steered towards New Zealand, uh, you know, because that was the best best position. We had no sails up. Uh, we were going about five knots. Uh, we were past Eden, so we couldn't really turn around. Mm. Quite a few of So you kept, kept on going? We kept on going. Uh, going in the best direction for the boat to keep us safe. So, right. yeah, so we didn't want to turn back and go with the following waves because that would be really scary. Yeah. And I know a lot of boats got into trouble because they did that. Yeah. yeah we had a, quite a few um, <clears throat> of the crew being uh, injured, mainly downstairs, not upstairs. Um, stands a man. Were they being thrown around? Yeah, thrown around. Our cook got yeah. um, broken ribs <laughs> and so did Stan Zamanik. <laughs> Oh, gee. Yeah. So then he came up to see me. Lucky he can't use the radio, um, but he was, <laughs> he said he's got blood in his urine. He wanted to be taken and airlifted off the boat <laughs> um, by helicopter. We didn't think that was a very good idea. <laughs> no. Um, but he, neither did we when he said we'd have to throw him overboard for the helicopter to pick him up. <laughs> so he changed his mind very quickly. He changed quickly. his mind. <laughs> and I got him to pee in a bottle so I could actually see the colour of his urine. I had a really bright yellow and so I told him to go to bed and drink more water. And we'd... By the sounds of it, he was a little bit dehydrated as well. Yeah, so, I think... um, yeah, just needed some rest and fluids. Yeah, I think most people get dehydrated. <clears throat> you know, mm. you drink, try to drink mm. water, but, you know, 
But poor old Joy. Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah. 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 I did catch up with you in Hobart on your last Hobart. And uh, you had another very interesting race on About Times. Can you share with us some of those challenges and um, how the team faced up during that race? Um, well, t- I, team for on About Time, I'd only just met them a couple of months beforehand. They were just great sailors and most of them been sailing with Julian for a number of years. Uh, but we were very well prepared. In fact, so well prepared. We did a lamb, live man overboard drill on the race before Hobart. It wasn't, okay. wasn't okay. quite planned, <laughs> but we retrieved him. <laughs> well, that's the main yeah. thing. So we started off really great and we had a really powerful, I mean, the boat's so powerful, ride down <clears throat> the coast. And we were in mm-hmm. great company probably in the first 20 boats sometimes. I think we might have switched to one or two in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But then halfway across Bass Strait, our engine decided to spit the dummy. Uh, oh, same no. time as we were putting up the kite, uh, the kite got caught because it's all electric winches on that boat. Um, they mm. can use manual winches, but they're quite small. Anyway, so I was downstairs, actually asleep, and then smoke just started coming out of the boat everywhere, really acrid type of smoke. And, of course, they're trying to get the the spinnaker down and I'm worried about the fire and <laughs> trying to start packing up all my gear, thinking, you know, we've got to get off this boat. But mm-hmm. uh, after we got the spinnaker down, we had some really highly skilled engineers there and they just worked out that it was the water intake was blocked so the engine just heated out it might have been a sunfish or something I don't know yeah but it was the night after that was just black you could not see a thing and yeah Yeah. so we were not game enough to put up another kite especially when you had to do it with the manual winches because we had no power and we had no power nearly to the finish then Mm. Um, so unfortunately we watched all the bigger boats pass us then we didn't disheartening then we didn't see any boats for like the next day but as we neared uh, the Tassie coast we saw a couple and then um, coming up uh, through the strait we actually saw the whole fleet arrive on the horizon we were just stuck there wallowing in there no breeze. No. So they all caught up to us and then we started the race again. And we won the second race. We actually beat the other Cookson. <laughs> there you go. That, that's great. They always say Hobart's come in a couple of races. The race always starts again mm. at Tasman. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what about some happier Hobart? So, um, you know, ones that you've competed in that um, – you know, um, you feel that you did really well. Yeah, did. Well, we did really well in the 98 Hobart. We came third in our division. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I went on the Daily Telegraph and we had Craig Green, Green um, as our photographer and we actually had a Daily Telegraph reporter there too. But that was such a fun race. We had a group of people that uh, – and. Uh, in the end, they were just absolutely fabulous. It was one person, one job. Um, the crew worked really well together. And as we're going up the Derwent River, Jewel with Hugo Boss. 
And Hugo Boss was full of professionals. So we actually beat Uh, Hugo Boss across the finishing line. So that, I mean, the whole race was just exhilarating, great people, you know, and we had a good time. You've navigated many of these races. You've seen many changes. And do you mentor sailors in navigation at the moment? Uh, yes. I mean, when I started, um, there was no sat-navs, there was no GPSs, certainly no computers. Uh, mm-hmm. We had to use paper charts, hand-bearing compasses, three-point fixes, two three-point fixes, running fixes and dead reckoning. So, you know, basically when you were a navigator, you had to stay up most of the time couldn't just get up and have a look at a machine (laughs) and my first two Hobarts uh, that I navigated we actually used a combination of DRing and a directional um, beacon finder do you know what they are no I don't know what they are so Uh, can you share that it's like a radio with like a rod on top and you twist the rod around till you actually find the strongest signal to a known fixed station And so there you could possibly, it might be fair to find two stations and do a two-point fix off a a land station. Not that accurate, but (laughs) you're certainly happy to Mm -hmm. see the uh, lighthouses as you went past. But uh, yeah, we we had a sextant with us, but neither of those races could you use a sextant because you couldn't see anything. Yeah. So very different yeah, times so now. In UK, yeah, very when I went to the UK, Condor had one of the new um, sat-navs. So um, we practised our sextant skills there, but we actually found Easter Island in the middle of the ocean, much to mm-hmm. the middle of the Pacific Ocean, much to our um, amazement, but it was dead on the nose. And anyway, um, so that was my first experience really with a sat-nav. Uh, Nowadays, of course, you have to be, it's all electronic and it's not where you are, it's where you're going and you have to be quite skilled at using mm-hmm. software. Um, I think that's... Now, you, you're a master at expedition software, yeah. I hear. Uh, well, I don't know about right. I'm not as master as some of the people are, but um, I'm probably more experienced than most and I taught myself in the beginning mm-hmm. and then uh, it's actually quite easy, but it's hard to set up. And so Frank Walker mm-hmm. and I used to run seminars and I did a few professional gigs when I retired from um, the computing industry. Um, I even taught Sid Fisher. He wanted to know what his navigator was doing, wasting his time downstairs. <laughs> okay. So I taught okay. Sid Fisher and he was he, yeah, picked it up quite quickly and, and now understood. So, so now I'm happy to help others, but I don't really do it professionally anymore. Okay. Um, no, you also helped out the guys on Southern Excellence at one stage too. Uh, yep, probably helped them. Yeah, <laughs> you did. <laughs> yep, um, I'm helping um, my next skipper, uh, Craig Douglas, who's taking Popeye to Hobart, and then we're going to the Auckland race. Um, he's quite computer literate. Um, so he's picking up expedition okay. quite well And because I would really love to teach anyone else, especially the boats that I'm sailing on, uh, how, to, how to use mm-hmm. it because now they're getting rid of plotters. Most people know how to use a plotter but um, and computers are quite easy, uh, easy but you really have to know the basics. So if I go overboard, I want someone mm. to find me. 
Well, that's yeah, right. So yeah, I'm more than happy. Um, there's a couple of new boats that are coming to the harbour and uh, to Middle Harbour, and I'm going to help them as well. Oh, yeah. terrific! So if we do have anybody, they can reach out to us, and we can put yeah. you in touch with them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. Sounds good. Now, just moving on, you've also owned your own boat. What have you competed in as a boat owner and what advice would you give other prospective boat owners? Um, well, I really owned two boats. Uh, one was a Far 50 Magnavox, which I absolutely loved, and, of course, the other one, the Volvo 60 which M2. Actually, they all had very funny names because they were all sponsored. Um, so, you know, we sailed all the way up and down the coast, Hamilton Island, Hobart, Southport, Coffs Harbours, all sorts of races. But, um, basically added in partnership because it's too expensive to buy and campaign our own, especially the campaign. Especially boats of that size, too. So, you know... um, Stan provide us with the sponsorship and, and often amusement. <laughs> Pete was the skipper <laughs> and the legal beagle, and I did most of the work, especially paperwork, and I got to navigate my own boat. So we all had our different positions. Stan didn't want to steer all the time, so Pete was basically the skipper. Um, but I could mm-hmm. still take the boats out, um, especially the Far 50. We used to have a... Uh, Friday night race at Middle Harbour Yacht Club and I used to take um, all the girls out and Vanessa Dudley and all sorts of people used to join me for that Friday night crew. We had lots of fun. So my advice was uh, I think a partnership is a really great idea unless you've got a lot of money because, you know, it shares the costs. Um, It also Mm -hmm. helps with the crewing, you know, to find crew because when you've got boats that size, it's really hard to find crew. So if you've got three or four owners that have got, the skills, then you're halfway there, you know, and generally they have mates that do that as well. So, you know, it was a lot easier to find crew, I think. Hopefully we can get more female boat owners going in partnership. Yeah, because you don't see a lot of female boat owners and I think it's a good way to start, you know, that um, there's a few now that are going into partnership. It's a good way to start and sort of getting to know your own boat. Talk about racing around the world. I know you do this regularly. What's your favourite race overseas? Uh, a bit hard to say, favourite race, but, you know, sailing's just such a great sport and it's just taken to me so many exotic places. It's really hard. I mean, my first real adventure was on Condor and that would have to be a highlight of my career. I took off two, two years of, from teaching and went as part of the professional crew um, and after Hamilton Island, we took off to the UK for the Fastnet race. Uh, didn't have a lot of time to stop, but we went to New Zealand and then we were heading towards Hawaii, but got blown so badly for about 10 days, we ended up at Easter Island. <laughs> okay, <laughs> well, that would the have been interesting. End of the uh, equator. <laughs> mm. Then we went up through the Panama Canal and the Zores and ended up in UK just in time for racing but we had lots of adventures there and Bob Bell was just great I sailed on the crew with the guys in both the short and long races but I also sailed with um, Jamie Wilmot a lot uh, on Warren Johns's boat Heaven Can Wait and of course he looked after a lot of boats um, both in the Caribbean and also in Asia 
Um, so for about three years in the in two in the two thousands, two thousand four, two thousand six, uh, we used to go to the BVI Spring Regatta and St Martin's Regatta and St Thomas's. Oh, and I tell you what, it's just magnificent racing there. Just the scenery, the yeah. the the winds, and of course the parties with the reggae parties. They were just great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it also <laughs> took me to um, my first races in the Asian regattas with Peter Hearns Yo, and again, and both boats were very competitive, and we won most things up there. And of course, having Jamie, he's such a talented um, tactician steerer. Mm -hmm. So, but then I met up with uh, Gordon Catelby, and he and Peter Sorensen and Tony Brown bought uh, Fujin in Asia. And for many years, mm -hmm. well, now they've bought a Far 40 along with Craig Douglas, who owns Popeye as well. And we've been sailing the Asian regatta, I don't know, for about eight years now. And that is fabulous. I mean, it's it's easy to get into. Okay. But it's um, not expensive. Um, we've done like King's Cup, Phuket Race Week, Samui, Top of the Gulf, and mm -hmm. my favourite is Rajamuda. Okay. And that's one I hadn't heard of. So um, share with us what Rajamuda is, uh, where it is, what it's all about. It's um, in KL, what it's all about. and we go from KL to um, Pancor Island. We stop a night on Pancor Island and then have a lay day. So it's sort of eating and drinking. <laughs> and then we go from Pancor mm -hmm. Island to Penang. And, of course, our crew always stays at the Eastern Oriental, only the best for us. Uh, yeah. Which is lovely, that hotel. Oh, I was right. there earlier this year, actually, having a drink on the balcony overlooking the ocean there. So I do know it's absolutely yeah. beautiful And then we spot. race one day in, um, in Penang. And they also have rickshaw races mm -hmm. there on, on our lay day. Then we go from Penang to Langkawi Island, um, stay at the yacht club there. But we do two races, two days of racing when we're up there. So it's a whole series and we just go from one place to the other. They take all our bags and it's very well organised. So, it's yeah, it's a lot of fun, but a lot of partying. The same team goes to, to Europe and there's... My favourite one was the Saint-Tropez and the White Party. But it's not that hard to get. Oh, beautiful. I mean, you either get a group together that charters, and I know a fair few um, people get together and charter a boat so you all share the costs. But a good way of getting into it is like volunteering to do the livery because our boat stays in um, in um, Thailand and we have to sort of deliver it to different places. And, um, yeah, okay. so... You know, often we're looking for delivery people and, you know, well, then they stay <laughs> for the racing. So it's a good way of getting okay. in there. So it's oh, two well, ways of getting into it. Yeah. yeah. It's always the same people. Okay. Lots of Aussies and there. That's great to know. I'm going to put that on my list of future sailing adventures around Asia. Thanks for that. Now, let's bring it back on shore. You were the first female Commodore of Middle Harbour Yacht Club. How did, you, how did that come about and what was the experience like uh, for you? Well, I've been a member now uh, since 1976. I was a second female member, uh, to be a full member. But around 1975, females, it was the first time females were allowed to be full members. So uh, they were only allowed to be associates okay. then. So it was the second one. Now I'm the longest serving because poor old Marianne Packer just passed away. But um, I 
I suppose I've been a volunteer type person, but I started getting volunteering and going on committees. I love giving back into the sport and I've been a member of the sailing committee for 21 years now. (laughs) So it was really the members Mm. who pushed me into becoming Commodore, particularly Tiggy Thomas and Keith Teeny, um, two of our Mm -hmm. ex-Commodores. No one ever looked at me as like, you're a female so, you know, you have to be a, you can't be a Commodore. Uh, it was really a push. I didn't feel mm. any sexism and not in any of the committees that I've been on. So it had challenges sometimes, but, you know, I just got a lot of support from mm. the fellow colleagues and club members. And uh, at the moment, Middle Harbour Yacht Club, there's not a lot of women that are actually full membership. And in the past, you had to have full membership before you could be uh, on the board or as a flag. Um, right. But they have actually introduced mm-hmm. a couple of years ago that you can be a sailing member, two people, one or two people can be a sailing member and still fulfil those positions because we found that we wanted younger people and females to be there. So um, mm. it was a way of attracting those people uh, to guide us to the future. Yeah, that's good. Mm, I was, yeah. That's terrific. Middle Harbour um, has got a great women's sailing group. Can anyone get involved and how can uh, they get involved yeah, in that? I wanted to point out that Middle Harbour in 1976, Marion Packer, along with actually Buster Brown and Jorian Van Gray, Frank Likely, our own Mike Fletcher, and Don Gillies actually started the, mm-hmm. now you probably won't like this, they called them the Sailing Birds. <laughs> so we no, actually formed, they gave women the opportunity to learn the um, art of sailing and they actually let men in in the end. So lots of, we had lots of people sailing okay. in then. Uh, a strong presence of women around the club. So you just really need to come down and ask and point you in the right direction. Now we have uh, Deborah Danziel, um, who's taken over, yep. and it's really great because you know Deborah's not only a female, but is sort of young blood and brings new ideas, and and she's really helping to develop our women's sailing. So we have a women's regatta once a year, but fortunately had to be cancelled this year yeah. because of you know what. Yes. Um, yeah. On Thursday nights we have. Uh, Twilight series once a month uh, that's devoted to the women's event. Yeah. Um, they also uh, encourage people to go in other women's events, both in Melbourne and, and in, uh, you know, other clubs like the CYC mm-hmm. and Manly Yacht Club. Mm-hmm. But the youth sailing with women, I'm not quite sure whether we started, but we have a She Sails Youth Women's Regatta. And we started that last year, and that was very successful. So you have to be a woman to go in that one, <laughs> or a, or a, you know, yeah, young female. Hopefully, this we'll see a lot more people coming down to the club, and it doesn't matter whether they're um, guys or girls coming down and inquiring about um, hopping on a boat down yeah. there out of middle. Because I don't think it really matters as a sex skill. You know, and you have to set your no, expectations it's... of what you can do. You know, I see a lot of good females on the bow, mm. but you know, and I've seen one really good female on the mast. 
<laughs> but you know, on a big boat on the mast, it's yeah. heavy. Yeah, Alex Deacon, I've never seen her, anyone pull it up so quickly, but <laughs> Alex is really good. She's strong. <laughs> wow. She's she sailing now. Her own 16 foot skiff cl- out of the Middle Harbour 16 foot skiff club, I believe. But she sails all. Okay. She used to yeah. sail a lot with Gordon Catelby on Zen, mainly doing the strings, but uh, she used to also, if I did the strings, she'd jump up on the mast. So. So, Julie, what do you like doing outside hmm, of sailing? Do I like outside sailing? <laughs> I try to go to the gym <laughs> to keep fit. Um, I love yep. travelling. I love walking the next door neighbour's dog. <laughs> um, but I'm also quite involved with the yacht club, so I sort of stick my nose there, write articles, um, help them with, you know, devising new courses and sailing committee, membership committee mm-hmm. and... Yep, so that's it. Just to finish up, and I really thank you for your time, what words of advice would you give younger people and also older people trying to get Uh, into the sport? Best advice is to set real realistic expectations. Persistent when you first go out, Mm -hmm. but don't think that you can do a couple of races with a boat and then suddenly go to Hobart, which I've seen a lot of people. Uh, expect Um, you know you have to do your time you have to get your safety at sea Um, you have to show that you're a member of the crew Um, but I think you need to be very supportive not only with the on-water racing but helping um, with the prep beforehand and packing up and delivery and you know there's lots of things that you can do uh, to help that those people and the delivery trips are a really great good. way of getting into um, offshore racing um, or probably racing in general because when you do a delivery trip you get to do everything you get to do steer you can you do the bow you can do trim you know it's there's there's lots of things that you can do I think I think I heard you say at one point. It's when the rock stars go downstairs and you get to do everything yes. you want to do. Yeah, so on I your think boat. that's why offshore sailing is really, and I enjoyed it in the beginning, is because, you know, when you're sailing around the, the boys, I used to get relegated to the runners. Um, and, you know, maybe if I was lucky, I might be able to do a bit of trim. Um, I wasn't relegated to the leeward runner, I was relegated yep. to the windward runner, which is, a bit, <laughs> which is a bit more important. The windward, yeah. Um, the... <laughs> but, you know, when I went offshore, yep. I could, people go to sleep so you could get to do all sorts of things, you know. And in the end, I, it, when I was younger, yeah. in my 20s, 30s, I used to do a lot of bow. Um, actually sailed bow on the pink boat with um, Peter Sorensen and um, Robin Crawford. Um, and it was really complicated because it's one of okay. the first ones with the masthead fractional, you know, um, asymmetrical, symmetrical kite. So, you know, you sort of had to sit there and think, mm. <laughs> oh, <laughs> which rope goes where? Yeah. 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 So I think can that be. really helps now is when yeah. I'm down the back of the boat that I can actually see things that happen in the front of the boat. But you need to, yeah, you need to get experience in all different parts of it. Yeah, and deliveries is yes. definitely the best way to and do it. And they're that. fun. Yeah, <laughs> mostly. Yep. Um, yes. Yeah, they are. They're a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. Julie, 
Thank you so much for your time. I have to leave it there, but enjoy the rest of your afternoon. And I'm sure that there are people out there that will take away a lot of tips uh, from this. Okay, podcast. thank you very so much, Deborah. Thank you again. That's really good. See you later. Bye. Thanks for listening today. And if you would like to find out more, please visit our Facebook page, Sailing Women's Network Australia. You can also contact us via our website, sailingwomensnetwork.com.au. Have a great day.